Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, how are you all going? Great to have you on board as always. Welcome along to episode 28 of the Howie Games. This week we come to you from a slightly more exotic location than usual, it must be said. This week, if you don't mind, the Howie Games is coming to you from Georgetown, Guyana. Cool, hey, now, if you can't picture it, Guyana, it's in northern South America from Melbourne, Australia, where I'm based. It's about a 44-hour flight. Killer, hey, Melbourne, Los Angeles, New York, Panama City, Guyana, big flight, but worth it when you get here. Guyana, amongst other things, is known for its real big, hairy bird-eating spiders, which thankfully I haven't seen any of yet. Hopefully I don't see any of it. It's dominated by the Amazon jungle. Big-name cricketers to come from this part of the world. For those that followed the Windies in the 1980s, the big cat Clive Lloyd, the skipper was from Guyana, uh, Roger Harper, gun fieldsman, also from Guyana, also known for some really cool waterfalls, which hopefully I get to check out in the next couple of days. I'll report in on next week's ep of the Howie Games, but not here for tourism, unfortunately. I am here commentating on the Caribbean Premier League, which is a T20 cricket competition, and yes, <laughs> it is as good as it sounds. Happy days. All right. This week's episode, it's an interesting one. It features a man like few who I've ever met before, Sam Newman. They could help out if they try, try, try. If they would try, try, try. John Noel William Newman, or Sam, as he's known to all and sundry, played 300 games for the Geelong Football Club in the then VFL, and he was a star. Behind the pack, Newman. Newman has played a magnificent game. He could be a, well, he is a potential for a Brownlow medal candidate. There's no doubt about that. Since 1994, Sam has been the main man, and I mean the main man, on Channel 9's long-running hit, The Footy Show. Sam, as I said, he's a star. He's a brilliant media performer. No doubt he frequently courts controversy, never, ever afraid to voice his opinion. And as you'll hear, Sam does not care in the slightest what other people think about him. He's a polarising personality is probably the best way to describe him, which is why he's a star. I had the pleasure of briefly working with Sam on Triple M radio broadcast of AFL footy a couple of years ago, but I didn't really know him, only to sort of say g'day. So how do you get in touch with Sam Newman? General advice from those that know him, you can't email him, which is my normal go-to. You've got to ring him, which is not something I feel that comfortable doing, especially when you're asking someone a big favour, which this obviously is. But so you can get a handle on Sam. This is a sort of how the conversation went down. You ring him. I was a little bit edgy. Ring, ring. He picks up. Speak. Yep, he answers the phone with speak, which gets you on the back foot straight away. Trying to warm things up. He loves his golf. Sam, how you going? You been playing golf today? Now, Mark, you're telling me, you're ringing out of the blue to ask me whether I've been playing golf. That's what you're after, is it? So, no, Sam, no. I was asked for a favour. Stumble my way through that. Thankfully, Sam, the lovely man that he is, agrees. Bless him. So then you want to wind it up. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Really look forward to it. Beep, beep, beep. He's already hung up at that point. That's Sam. But ask anyone who knows him, the first thing people say about Sam Newman is he is tremendously loyal, which for mine is as good a quality as you can have, I reckon. This chat covers footy, life and death experiences, love, health scares, being broke, flat broke, fancy cars and lots more. I was a little bit edgy at the start, but I think that's a good thing. You might love Sam, you might hate Sam. One thing is for sure though, Sam will not care in the slightest either way. Hopefully, however you feel about Sam, you come away with a new understanding of what Sam Newman is really about. Enjoy. So when you search and then you find a 
and know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try with me We want to reach Mount Zion You can sit there, Sam mm, Yeah, I will do that I don't need any headphones, do I? No, no, no we don't Right <clears throat> there we're rolling there, so ready to go. All right. Out of your hair. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. You good to go? I'm good to go, mate, yeah. Sam Newman, welcome to the Howie Games. It's uh, a treat that you've sat down and given me some of your time. I know you've got to be on. Thank you, Mark. How are the games going? Have you won any? <laughs> no, we haven't won that many, but we're going all right. You know what it is, Sam? No, I don't. I have no idea. If this is social media or anything to do with it, I have no idea what it's about, mate. It's a podcast, which would go <clears throat> all the way back to your generation, I guess, when people listened to extended radio plays and chats, and the life was about the full story as opposed to now, Sam, where it's in three or four minute grabs. You know that you work on commercial TV. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, back to the old serials like yeah. Superman and That's Biggles. exactly what it is. They've come back in. Now that's what people are doing. They <clears> jump <throat> in their car or on the train or on the tram and zone out and listen, Sam. I would say it would have been a fraction more sophisticated in days gone by than it is the dribble and garbage that people want <laughs> other people to know about them and who want to be famous for 15 minutes or seconds in life, as Andy Warhol said, so i absolutely delighted not to be part of it. Well, I think the the hopefully this is not dribble and rubbish. This is like two people sitting down having a chat, and it's meant to be an enjoyable chat, Sam. It's meant to be for something to you to enjoy. No, no, we we won't we might we won't speak dribble or rubbish. Mm. But the inane stupidity mm. of people, I'm not sure what it's called. They either Facebook or they, if they're in a store, they take a photograph of a cream bun and say, yeah. eating a cream bun in Clarendon Street, and they send that out to whoever follows them and for what reason do they follow them. That is dribble and nonsense. That is people with very little time for themselves to do anything else. Well, there's something we agree Boredom, on straight away. stupidity. Yeah, the world's gone mad, Sam. The world <clears> has <throat> gone mad, but we're not here to talk about the world. We're here to talk about you. And can I tell you right from the start, I've been doing this for, I don't know, nowhere near as long as you, maybe 15 years now, and I haven't been on edge for an interview for about 10 years, and you've got me on edge due to a couple really? of phone conversations we've had this morning. You put me on edge. <laughs> well, um, only because... <laughs> You either didn't read the texts that I sent you or the carrier that you used didn't bother sending them through to your phone in a reasonable time. Well, I think we found that it was the carrier's fault. Optus Communications have hurt me at this stage. So you have got me a bit on edge, but as I said, mate, I appreciate you sitting down. It's not like we know each other very well. We work for a short period of time at Triple M. Um, So these normally start at the start, Sam. For you, uh, what's your sort of... Your background, you were born in Geelong, were you? Yep, born in Geelong. <clears throat> Father was a teacher at a public school called Geelong Grammar. I went there from the creche to junior school to kindergarten to Timbertop to I spent all my life at that school and then I left that school to play football for Geelong. I worked in a bank, went into business with Doug Wade for a decade and um, other than that, I was my vocation really was a uh, footballer. How good's that? Getting to do something you love for a job. Uh, yes, we're very lucky, very fortunate, um, and I'm uh, of the generation where I've seen what football used to be like, yep. what it's been like in the transition, and what it is today. And how do we feel about the modern game? Well, 
I only have a great interest in our game because it's a great game, mm-hmm. but it is turned into a contrived crock of nonsense, played illogically, and if anyone will tell you that the skills today are better than they used to be, that is when Hawthorne and Essendon and the great Carlton sides were going about their business, mm. they are delusional. Players today, very good at aerobics, very good at kicking the ball 15 metres to someone on their own, and that is it. No overhead marks, ridiculous hand passing, disgraceful umpiring and kicking for goal, non-existent. If that is a step up in the evolution of our game, God help it. So what was the game that you grew up loving all about and why did you fall in love with it? At what age, Sam? When did you have your first kick? Do you remember your first game? Was it for your school or was it a local club? Yep, no, former school. Um, so uh, you're born into it. Great Geelong supporter I was uh, before I even could pronounce the word Geelong. My right. parents were. <laughs> and um, so it is, I, I know people will think, well, having just said all that about the game, it is a great Australian game, our game. So what's your first memory of playing footy? What's the first game you can recall that you played in competitive style? How old were you? Well, I I, uh, I was 14 when I played in the firsts at the school. Right. So I played, Geelong Grammar? Yeah, three years. I played 14, 15, 16. Um, I played in the last three games from school in the Geelong seconds, they were called in those days, mm-hmm. in 1963. We had to do that to qualify to play in the finals. So I played in the seconds grand final, which we won, and the seniors won their grand final against Hawthorne in 63. Yep. And then I left school and uh, played for Geelong proper in 64. What were you like at school? And what was school like at that stage? What well, was I like remember? at school? Yeah. As what? As an academic. Student. Uh, pretty ordinary. Were you? Yeah, because I wasn't really... Interested? What were you interested in? I was interested in playing sport. Right. But as is the want of a public school, mm. I can't comment about what state schools and other tertiary mm. institutions are like because I never went to one. But in those days, the discipline was uh, very strict, very regimented, and you had to learn or you uh, were penalised. Well, the cane, that type of stuff? Uh, well, not for bad marks, but you were given remedial exercises <laughs> when your spare time was yours. Yep. You had to go and study. Uh, if you transgressed the various rules of the school, like having your hands in your pockets, chewing gum, walking on the grass, you were caned. Right. Do you recall being caned? Absolutely. Wow. It's bizarre. Well, it's not bizarre because it's, it's, it's the difference. <clears throat> I guess it teaches you a lesson, though. <laughs> Um, if pain uh, teaches you a le- lesson, it teaches you a lesson. Um, uh, you look at what's happening today and we've become so bogged down with political correctness and stupidity and agenda seekers and people who want you to tow some imaginary line that no one in their right mind thinks you should tow. But luckily I'm past all that. I don't worry about all that because... It was, is irrelevant to me, really, at my stage in life. So your mum and dad, you got a, a couple of sisters? Yeah, i got a couple of sisters. It's my, a pretty nice upbringing. Well, my younger sister is 10 years older than me, and my older sister is 12 years older right. than me. So I was more or less an only child. But So you were the baby of the family? More or less. And uh, my uh, mother and father were good, decent people, and uh, the only 
joy I might have given them was that I played for Geelong and they were avid Geelong people as my family were, so they had a love-hate relationship with me playing football because sometimes I would transgress or do something on the field that wouldn't please my father and he was my greatest critic and and greatest inspiration. So uh, this world is about not where you live and not what side of the tracks you're on, but values and principles your parents give you, uh, nothing to do with affluence or anything that's in your genes. And uh, I would say, other than some of the ridiculous things I've done, mm. I'm genuinely, uh, generally um, a disciplined person who has some sort of values. So have you tried to pass those values that your dad gave you on to your boys? And have you had success well, I with think that? It's, uh, well, probably not, but I think it's innate. Yeah. I think it's, as I say, it's inherent in you. Uh, you generally pass on the genes that your ancestors and people give you. Uh, I think that's what DNA is about. What are you doing growing up in Geelong as a 15, 16, 17-year-old in the 19, early 1960s, I presume, yeah, away 60s. from school and away yes. from footy? How, how are kids enjoying themselves? Before I left school? Yeah, before you're playing footy. Uh, well, um, I was at a boarding school, so... We only had three terms in those days, and you get a couple of weeks off at the end of each term, and then six, eight weeks off for Christmas. Yep. And my parents uh, and my sisters still do have a house at Point Lonsdale, and we used to go there for Christmas, our furloughs. And I uh, <laughs> used to be a good, very good surfer, board rider. Did you? Very good. I can say that. Where'd you surf? Because no one will ever prove that that's not right. Where'd you surf? I, I surfed at uh, all around the. Uh, the the west and uh, not over over Torquay right Bonehead's Anglesey Point Lonsdale Bells I was one of the first people that ever not first people but we I surfed at Bells before it was even known as a surf did you? beach yep so do you have to go when it was through a the dirt track yeah you have to go through the farm through the gates yep right and what type of board are you rolling at that stage of well beer? I think it uh, from memory <laughs> it was a balsa board I think it was about nine nine and a half feet right. And um, so I used to surf uh, quite a lot with uh, some friends of mine, and we used to go everywhere surfing. With uh, how were you staying warm at that stage? Because I uh, we had very, uh, very basic and um, simple wetsuits, which weren't designed for uh, board riding or right. surfing. They were yep. designed mainly for people who dived or yep. fished, yep. or so they were uh, pretty basic. When was the last time you got on a surfboard, you reckon? Oh, no, a long time ago, 30, 40 years ago. No, once once I moved up to Melbourne, I really? didn't do it anymore. Did you love it at the time? Because it's, oh, it's one of my great Ah, oh, I used to do it all the time. Mate. Yeah. Oh, we, we were not pioneers, but we were on the beach every day. Surfing waves by yep. yourself? Uh, I, I didn't like to surf by myself. I always liked to do, have mm. at least two or three others with you. Lessens uh, the chance of attack? The fear factor of being <laughs> on your own yep. and... A big set of waves coming in and throwing you onto the bottom and you're on your own yeah. uh, just didn't appeal to me. Surfing these days, it's, um, I don't know if you ever watch any of it. But I it's do, become watch a, it a lot. It's become a real lifestyle. Do you, ever, do you ever wish you had that opportunity to travel to the places where people my age are going now uh, to surf well, and explore I'm and travel? I'm captivated by the uh, big wave uh, oh, yeah. competitions. Yep. And uh, other than the people who ride uh, MotoGP, the 500 MotoGPs, yep. Mark Marquez and um, 
Valentino Rossi and the like, yep. and all the people, the stra- great Australians that preceded them. Mm. Other than that, I reckon you'd have to have the biggest gonads uh, other <laughs> yeah. than riding one of those bikes to catch a 50, 60, 70-foot wave. Yeah. That, to me, is unimaginable. Did you feel fear in the surf? Uh, I remember we went to Bell's maybe the late 50s, no, early 60s. Yep. Early 60s, and there were 25 sets of 25 feet coming in. Wow. And I and the three people I went with, we floated over the top of them for about three quarters of an hour until one of us had the guts to actually, because I don't know if you know bells, but <laughs> I do. it's just a right-hander. You just catch it and you quickly, savagely turn right. I know it well. Unless you've uh, made a mistake. And uh, it took us three quarters of an hour and someone said, come on, let's do it. I mean, how hard can this be? And when that 25 feet of water welled up behind you, mate, that would uh, <laughs> that was the most frightening thing. Did you Almost go? I've ever done. Oh, no, yeah, you? no, we did it. We Once you do it, uh, you know, once you do it, but it took us a long time to get the courage to do it. I don't say this glibly, and I know you don't have time for fools, of which I'm <laughs> one, but um, you should come again sometime. I live down the coast. We should yeah. go for a surf. Mate, I've trouble just getting out of bed yeah, these days, standing, getting, paddling on my stomach and then getting onto a board that's moving in all different directions. But I reckon if you loved it that much no, then, no, you'd I, love it now. I'm sure I reckon I, you would. I'm sure I could probably still do it. Uh, that is a contradiction. Sure, I could probably. That's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? I reckon you'd love it, mate. If you loved it then. Well, I, I would. I just I, didn't know. I do other things now. Well, yeah. play golf mainly now, so that's just what I do. So you're a excellent, a, a good, an okay school footballer, I presume excellent. No, I was a very good school footballer. Were you? Very happy to say that. Big, strong? No, I wasn't. I was thin and uh, oh, yeah. um, and nimble, uh, thin and gangly, uh, but I, I was a very good mark and no, I was a good footballer. I um, don't think no. there's anything wrong with saying that at school. I was. Was there any plan apart from being a footballer and if so, what was it? Well, uh, when I left school, I worked in a bank. Uh, How was that? Uh, well, I worked in a bank mainly so you could get the time off to go to training. What was the bank? Uh, it was the National Bank. Were you a, a teller? I was. Right. Uh, with Doug Wade across the road at the <laughs> CBA Bank, which right. I think has become the... Commonwealth? Commonwealth. So the, is this a suit and tie type? Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, well, tie and uh, jacket and that. And um, then Doug and I entered into the hairdressing business for a decade and sold hairdressing supplies around Victoria to hairdressers. Tell me about that. What, like real cream and stuff? No, hairdressing products <laughs> right. uh, that women use, colour okay. and right. semi-permanent colour and tints and bleach. And what was your pitch? Shampoo, pardon? What was your pitch? Our pitch is that we had a, a, a hairdressers-only product which was developed in Sydney called Delva. Right. And uh, we had the Victorian distribution rights for it, and we did very well with it until we got bought out by the people who had it in the other two northern states. They wanted it in the eastern seaboard, so they gave us an offer. So when when you're in a bank or you're doing this type of business, do you quickly see that this sporting life is going to be more interesting, more enjoyable, more varied than the working life per se, or not really? Because it's a great well, treat, I would imagine, to play sport professionally for a living, Sam. Ah, uh, yes, but in those days we didn't play sport for a living. Right. Uh, we every, Everyone had a job. There was no such thing as a professional footballer. Yep. How many times? Well, firstly, before we get to that, you, you kicked a lot of goals in a, in a game for your school, which caught the attention of the Geelong coach? Uh, that- yes, I did. I, I, I kicked 17 goals, I think, at 
centre half forward. It's a decent day. But that would that is a decent day, but that would depend on the opposition. I don't care who the opposition, opposition is. Well, Seventeen's a good day. Yeah, no, that's a good day. And Bob Davis and uh, the late Bob Davis and the late Leo O'Brien, who was the football manager, came out to the grammar. And the rest, as they say, is history. He said, you better come in and play in at Cadinia Park. And I said, well, I'll do that, Bob. So I did. And I was given Polly Farmer's training jumper, number five, as a signing on fee. Really? They said, we'll give you this, which I treasured. And this is one I wish you... I still had it, but I don't. Where'd it go? Don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I wore it probably at training and it this got is left one of, and... This is one of your heroes, <clears throat> Polly Farmer? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, absolutely. So your very first game for the Geelong Footy Club in the seniors? The very first, uh, ironically, I started on the bench as opposed to my last game, which I started on the bench. <laughs> I started on the bench out of Brunswick Oval against Fitzroy. Right. And I had a school friend of mine called Grant Woods, yep. who I was very good friends of at school. And he uh, came along to the game. He stood behind the coach's box, which they used to sit on the boundary, the coaches then. And he kept yelling out, put Newman on. And put Newman He did this the whole day. And Bob Davis, in the end, about with quarter of an hour to go in the last quarter, said, for heaven's sake. Take your dressing gown off. This man is driving me fair dinkum ratty. I'm putting you on. And he uh, put me on and he turned around and said, yes, satisfied now to the bloke behind. This is Grant Woods. So on I went and that was my first game. And your introduction to, to top-level <coughs> VFL football, was it something that you were immediately comfortable? We see guys oh, that come no. in these days. or No, no, mate, it was uh, right. as opposed to today. See, there's no fear factor in football today. No. Because it's been sanitised, and rightly so. We don't yep. want to be king hit behind the play and elbowed and punched in the head. But there is no fear factor. Players now go into a ball to get a ball now with complete immunity, not knowing that they'll be protected because the other players are disciplined enough not to rush in and give them a free kick. Yep. But in those days, mate, she was referee rules. It was frightening. I second game I played against a man called Patty Ganane from Richmond. Right. And I was about 11 and a half stone and he was about 18 stone and he was built like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and he was frightening. And um, so that's the uh, the great definition of courage is nothing to do with physicalness. It's to do with mental capacity to overcome doing something against your better wishes. And uh, I used all my courage that day. I thought, well, I'm in for it, so... Get in front, go for a mark, and bang, that was the end of it. Crash, they used to knock you around, something fearful. And what did you do post-game? As you know, you've been sitting up in the commentary box and I've been floating around the rooms for a long time now and, you know, there's ice bars and Gatorades and, <coughs> and all that type of stuff. The siren sounds at Geelong, you've had a win, you go into the rooms. Describe the scene for me. Um, well, in the 60s, I mean, it's not uh, completely back in... Uh, we're not, we're in complete Luddites in those days. No, um, of course not. Uh, there was still a level of sophistication with treating injuries. Um, I had seven operations on my ankles over the career, my career. You see, if your ankles are no good, then that saves your knees and your groin. If your knees are no good, you don't usually have ankle operations. Right. And if your knees and your ankles are okay, usually your groin goes. So it's what the... Injuries find their least resistance, yep. point of weakness. So I had seven operations and uh, our club doctor, Kevin 
Throffel in those days, he was. He went over to America and got this latest strapping technique, this figure eight strapping, which is used today mm-hmm. on strapping ankles. Whether you had ankle injuries or not, they used to strap the ankles. They thought prevention was better than the cure. Yep. So um, in the 60s and 70s, we were required to be at the club five, at least five days of the week, not necessarily training, but doing gym work or having injuries treated. And when I finished in 1980, it was pretty full on. Can I ask you, in your heyday as a Geelong Bearfield football, and you're saying it's a five-day commitment, I don't think you were living in Geelong, were you? I think you were probably driving up and back a fair bit. Well, we moved our, Doug and I moved our business up to Melbourne where we had to because we had to be more or less in the hub of uh, Melbourne. Yep. And I lived out at a place called Donvale. So I oh was the captain in 74 and 5 under Polly Farmer. So this is 25 kilometres east of the city centre yep. now. So like, this is a big trip from Geelong so in those I days. So I spent most of my life on the road. What were you rolling in? Hmm? What type of car? Oh, not just probably a company car, for, right. you know, whatever the company car we had. And what, what were you, as well, was going to get to, what, what would you have been getting paid, if you don't mind me asking, in, your, in your best times at the Geelong Footy Club? Well, when I started, yep. uh, everyone got £10, pounds, yep. that's $20, yep. £10 a game, and then decimal currency came in in 66, yep. and um, we had to pay money into a provident fund, so... And when I finished playing, I my last three years at Geelong, 78, 9 and 80, I got $70,000, which I think almost made me the highest paid player in the league. 70000 a year? Yep. And at that stage, what would the average bloke doing your previous role in the bank have been getting at that particular point in time? For example, roughly. Uh, I, I don't know. Not seventy thousand. No, obviously. well, I, I, well. Do you remember now? Who was this? Was it Len Thompson who tried to leave Collingwood, or was it Phil Carmen? Someone tried to leave Collingwood. I think the late Len Thompson, mm-hmm. and wanted seven thousand dollars. I played against. Wanted seven thousand dollars a a year. I'd like to make sure that this is right. I think he tried to get a clearance and wanted $7,000 yep. a year to play somewhere and Collingwood wouldn't clear him. Or, and that's how much money was in it. Right, in so 70000 was a good whack. 70000 was a very good whack. You you probably paid the price, though. I don't know how you are physically now, which we can chat about, but there's, there's a... A, a well-known within the football circle story about you getting a significant injury that put you in hospital, if you could. Oh, yeah, no, that was in 67, the only chance I had to play in a grand final. I um, uh, went for a ball on the forward flank in the opening 10 minutes of a game against Collingwood, first semi-final, and got kneed in the side and had my kidney ruptured and was taken off the ground and taken to hospital and had my kidney taken out. Did you know it was at the time? What happened when it immediately happened? I knew there was something pretty drastically wrong because... Did uh, it come off? hmm? Did you come straight off the ground? Well, you see, in those days you didn't have an interchange bench. You only had a 19th and 20th man. If you're off, you're off. That was it. So So last resort to come off. Club was very averse to taking people off the ground. So I remember standing down in the forward pocket... um, and the sensation in my body, I was so sensitive because I'd lost about half, I was internally bleeding Ooh. inside. 
And I stood there and Len Thompson brushed, just brushed past me at a boundary throw-in, which I tried to contest and the sensation went right through my body and I put my hand up and the trainer came out. I said, mate, I can't do this. And they took me off and they lay me in the rooms on a stretcher on the on the bench. Yep. Just lay me there and waited for half time to come and my father came in. So you're in there by yourself at this point? By myself. My father came in. Just for half time, and I said, I just need to go to the urinal. He went and I had pure blood came out, and my father went, well, he didn't go berserk, but he got the ambulance, and they took me in, and my mother and father rode in the ambulance with me into uh, St. Vincent's, I think. Yep. And um, taking my gear off in the car, as I did so, and uh, so, yeah, it was taken in and had my blood supply replaced twice, I think. Lost eight, lost just, they couldn't stop the bleeding. So was this a touch and go? I don't yes, want to have a No, it was touch and go. It no, was. I've, I've, I've told, said this before, but my mother, who was a bit distraught, said as they went through those plastic flapping doors into the operating theatre, said, the bloke said, you just have to leave Mrs Newman. He said, this is, this is touch and go. He said, so just leave us, will you, please? So that was it. So much to the chagrin of most of the community, I survived. <laughs> So why'd you play again after that? Did you have Well, that was in the last game in 67 and Polly Farmer left in 67 and I became what's known as the number one ruckman yep. in 68. So I had the whole summer to recuperate and I started again, wore a guard about a bit like Tom Lonigan does. Do you remember running back out on the field? So you've lost one kidney. Obviously, if the same thing happens to your second yeah, one. Well, same it. with Lonigan. Yep, he, 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 I had a talk to him when he lost his. Um, and... Um, I used to wear a guard, which was probably useless, but yeah. it was more psychological and players used to say, watch out, we're trying to get you again, all that stuff, trying to psych you out, so yep. part of the game. So is it worth it now as you are in your, uh, how are you, 71? 71. Is it, do you look back and say it's worth paying the physical price that you paid to play footy? Well, you don't think about it, mate, do you? you no, just... but you think about it now, I guess, or not? Well, given the choice of would I like to have two functioning kidneys or not, uh, yeah. uh, then I might have been working in a bank for the rest of my life and mightn't have enjoyed myself as much. So uh, you can't say, people say, if you had your life over, would you do things differently? And I say, well, of course you wouldn't because you don't get your life over. I can't see you sticking out in the bank forever. I can't well, see no, you that's working right. in there now. So your, your footy career, you didn't get that opportunity then to play in the grand final? No, that was the only one. Missed it in 63 because I was uh, at school. And after, so after 18 years, is that you've done everything you can and it was a fantastic ride, but, or there's no but at the end? No but. No, no but? No, no. Would have liked to have played in the grand final, liked to have won a premiership, liked to have... Well, I don't know what else I'd like to do, but never worry about things you don't have any control over, mate. You can waste a hell of a lot of time and energy doing that. So how did it finish up for you, your VFL career? Well, I uh, uh, Bill Goggin was the coach in 1980. He started me uh, on the bench against Collingwood down at Cadinia Park, and I played for three and a half quarters, and, and that was it. At the end, I stopped. I don't... Um, yeah, I was, injuries had, I'd missed the equivalent of five years through injuries. I missed 100 games. See, I played the same length of time as Kevin Bartlett and he played exactly 100 oh, okay. games more than me. I missed 100 games through injury. 
thanks for everyone for the good vibes and for letting us know on social media at MarkHoward03 and the Howie Games at Hotmail.com where they're listening and what they're doing. Our shout-out this week is to T Haynes. T is listening to the Howie Games while renovating his basement in Vancouver. Where's Vancouver, people? No idea. Nice work, T. If you miss last week's episode of the Howie Games, you'll be spewing. It featured my man, Mighty Mick Fanning. He talked about the year off he had in 2016. You've got to, you got to just, you know, get through those tough moments. So then, when those good moments happen, you can appreciate them. And um, it's good to, you know, relearn a lot of things relearn you know about yourself and you know when you're traveling the world and you've got no schedule and all you have to do is just put on a wetsuit and paddle out Mm. and try and get a photo here and there (laughs) it's pretty damn easy i took a lot out of that episode pickle like what pingy like i should blow off prep for a year as if and go hunting barrels pickle just like my man mick good luck with that pingy okay back to sam was it true that you were one of the, if not the first person to wear white boots on a footy No, field? I think Phil Carmen might have worn right. them, um, I think, a couple of weeks before me. So and I, I only wore them because <clears throat> the late Dick Wicks, who was at Adidas, uh, I needed some training boots when we started pre-season training and the only lasts, the leather on the lasts, were cricket boot leather, white leather. And he said, well, we haven't got the football leather on yet he said still the cricket season but I'll make up a pair of white boots footy boots and I had that much reaction to them they ended up paying me to wear them so that's why I wore them so are you an uh Sam Newman of today are you an extrovert or an introvert uh well <clears throat> that's that's I'm a bit of a, a bit, I think I'm probably a bit of a uh, Jekyll and Hyde I'm a bit introverted but if I need to be in my public life, be extroverted, yep. I do that. But I would say I'm more introverted than extroverted, So something privately. Like, so something like this, do you find this comfortable or uncomfortable, enjoyable, not enjoyable, a, a drain on you? Uh, no, I, I don't mind. I don't mind having these chats. I do worry that people who listen to this think... I don't like talking about myself. Right. And you say, we're going to talk about you. I'm yep. happy to talk about me, but... Um, you know, as Jack Nicholson famously once said, he said, the people who could give a stuff about what you're talking about <laughs> are standing on the room uh, uh, over there at the edge of the room. Uh, words to that effect, he uh, used some expletives. So mm. do I get the, the pleasure of speaking to the uh, persona of Sam Newman, the media person, or do I get to speak to Sam Newman as he really is today? Uh, no, this is me. Um, I... Uh, I don't think it would be a long stretch, uh, Mark, to say that uh, the stuff I do publicly in the public domain is a far cry from what I've been speaking about here. Yeah, it is. Um, And things I do, but I've tried to uh, tailor what I do to suit the show that we've been doing Mm -hmm. for 25 years with some success, sometimes not successful, but that's the uh, beauty of live television. We've been doing that live for 25 years. So uh, I have enjoyed all the people I've worked with and still do. And um, it's a fine line between 
knowing what to do to whether it should be a just anything in life, whether you should be more in the entertainment industry or more in the information industry about how the game mm. unfolds or whether you should try to uh, be a little risque, a little, all those things are very hard to uh, gel, particularly when you don't get time to think about it because it's live. And uh, I've transgressed many times through things I've said off the top of my head, which have found to be either politically incorrect by some people who have decided that or <laughs> have been just uh, the wrong things to do. But that's the way it is. And I think this is where we get to the, the before we get to the footy show, but maybe the the nub of my outside understanding of you, which is pretty limited, it must be said, to me, you seem to be, a lot of people say they don't give a stuff about what people think in this world, Sam. Yeah. We all like to think we don't care. Do you genuinely not care? And if yep. that's the case, that must be a bloody fantastic way to live your life. I can honestly say, Mark, I don't care what people think about me because I know who I am. Your reputation is who people think you are. Yep. Your character is who you really are. I honestly don't care because people only do anything, whether it's good or bad in life, because they have a vested interest. And the people that um, talk me down or knock me or have an opinion of me have a vested interest in doing it, and that might be quite legitimate interest. It doesn't worry me at all. I'm confident with who I am. I'm not egotistical. I'm not vain, although everyone should have a bit of vanity in them or else you turn up, turn into being a slob. Um so I honestly, I, and I've said this many times before, I really don't mind what people say about me as long as they don't mind what I say about them. But you'll find that that is so weighted in favour of the people who give you the grief as opposed to you giving it back. At what age did you realise that you didn't care what anyone thought about you? Were you always like, surely as a, a teenager you're not like that because most teenagers are concerned completely with what other people think about them. Oh, no, it? but it, uh, just since I started the footy show, when Eddie started right. the footy show 25 years ago in 94? Yep. Five, four, three. Um, was it a conscious effort to think I don't care or you just grew into that? No, there was there was myself and Eddie and Trevor Marmalade and uh, I think maybe Simon Madden or I can't remember who the people... But we started off and because it was live, Eddie asked me a question and I answered it how I thought I should without no rehearsal. See, we don't rehearse. We don't try and work out what we're going to say. Or we have a running sheet. But mm. And so um, I would say things and people would say, oh, gee, that's a bit rough or that's pretty ordinary thing to say. And then that's how it started. People say, oh, well, Sam Newman's a big mouth and... He's a sexist and a racist and a homophobe and a nihilist and a nihilist. I was called a nihilist the other day. I never, didn't even know what a nihilist was. I'm not I sure looked what it up. It nihilist either. means you don't give a stuff about anything. Right. Um, I don't think that's you. Uh, no, but that's, that's what people, that's people, that's your reputation. So, uh, so, so it, I don't mind what my reputation is because I know who I am. So do you have, as I said, it must be a wonderful thing to never care what other people think. Like we, we Well, I'm a, I'm a bit protected from it because I, I don't have a computer. I don't have a, obviously because I don't have a computer, I don't have an email address. Yep. I don't blog. I don't, I'm making these names up. I don't blog. I don't Snapchat. I don't. <laughs> Uh, there's a whole lot of other, you could, there's a whole lot of five different things that I've heard that I don't, someone said you're on um, one of those dating sides, uh, so, so, dating 
Oh, um, said, Tinder. I said, you're on Tinder? I said, <laughs> I said, oh, I could be. What is it? And then they said, you're on the other one. What's the gay one? Grinder. Grinder. They said, you're on Grinder, And I said, well, I could be on Grinder. What is Grinder? So someone told me. I said, no, I'm not on Grinder or Tinder. So I'm not on any of those. And so therefore, I'm a bit immune to what people say about me. I only get told what someone in the media might have said about me. And um, then if it's opportune or it's... Um, if it's relevant on our show, I'll have a go back. But I don't get involved in having back and forward conversations with people who don't like me or you'd spend the rest of your life you would. sitting in sitting in front of a stupid uh, keyboard or mm. whatever it's called, um, justifying who you are. I, I, I must To have. whom? I don't know why you'd be justifying who you are to anyone. I admire that attitude enormously. I, I you know... As I said, I think it must be a wonderfully free way to live your life. You finished playing footy. Um, I did. I chatted to a couple of people, and they they said to me, and "I hope you don't mind me asking that business didn't go your way after footy." There's a couple of things. That oh happened. yeah, no, business didn't go my way. I then worked for a transport company. When I finished, just a man asked me to join him, and uh, he was he used to um, distribute uh, the Herald and Weekly Times product all over Victoria, mm. and he asked me. Needed some trucks, he said, to because the business was growing. And he said, "Would you guarantee him a loan at the bank?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll guarantee it." So, as uh, that was an um, uh, unfortunate thing to do, because he went broke, and the bank uh, um, called on my loan. I uh, called on my uh, security. What, which type was, of, what type of figure are we talking about? Uh, in those days, about. $400,000, and that was in uh, 80, oh, better. Uh, so I was, I didn't go bankrupt, but I was absolutely stone motherless broke. So I remember sitting in a friend's house. I stayed at the back of my great friend of 60 years, a man called Kevin King, dental technician. Yep. Stayed out in the back of his shop for a year. So you didn't have in a, a like, room. Didn't have a cent. Did not have a cent. Did, did not, could... I was on the world of sport and I used to, on Channel 7, I used to um, take the Ballantine's chocolates and the um, the cheese that they used to give it, then the Patra orange juice. I used to take that home. That was, I used, used to sustain myself on the freebies that I used to get from the world of sport. So you just lived at a mate's for a year? Lived at the back of his, didn't live at his place, lived at the back of his shop. In what type of setup? He had a room at the back of his dental laboratory. Right, like you just, you just had a bed back there. A bed and a, yep. So how, um, <coughs> we don't know, <clears throat> need to go into the legal side of things. No, I don't care. It must hit you pretty hard, though, when your life's work goes yeah. up in bloody smoke. No, I remember uh, sitting in my house just before it was taken off me by the bank. I remember sitting in my <laughs> house... Um, I don't think I had the power on. I think they'd cut that <laughs> off, thinking to myself I was... 50? Uh, uh, how long ago was that? Uh, I was, I'd got halfway through, well, got a fair way into my life and yep. I'd um, played football and had a pretty good business and had a pretty good life and suddenly I had absolutely nothing. Stone motherless broke. So what do you do in that situation? What's the first step you take to get off your ass? Well, uh, there's, there's only two ways you can go, I think. You can... Uh, you can... Um, think seriously about whether it's any point going on. You didn't do that, though? Well, no, I didn't do that. I 
I tell you, I tell you what I did. I tell you what got me back on my feet. Mm-hmm. Now you laugh at this. I was reading a Playboy magazine. I was actually reading one of the articles in it. I'd, I'd looked at all the pictures a couple of weeks before, so I didn't have to look at them again. And I was reading an article about someone who interviewed Sure. Right. It was a question and answer thing. And they said to Sure, the first question was, well, let's jump right in. Sure. And they asked her a very point, pointed, basic, irreverent question. And I read the whole thing and I was actually fascinated by it. And so I thought, I'll have a go at doing this. So my good friend, Dermot Brereton, I said, could I interview you? And I interviewed him exactly like uh, the article. And I took it to the Herald or the Sun in those days. And I said, I've interviewed, if I could do an interview like this every week, would you put it in the paper? And the bloke read it and he said, oh, gee. He said, oh, if you, if you can ask people those questions. He said, I said, well, I've done that interview. He said, what, what, is that an interview? You haven't made that up? And I said, no, I've got it on tape. He said, if you don't believe it. So I did 250 of those, I think, for the Herald Sun over some years. And Dermot Brereton started me off on my... Come back to uh, life, and uh, then I interviewed the next week Tony Lockett, then Peter Dacos, and it just went from there. So I interviewed footballers to start with, and then they became very popular, the interviews. I interviewed visiting sportsmen and politicians and uh, people in the entertainment industry. Who impressed you? Um, Eartha Kitt impressed me. Right. Uh, John McEnroe impressed me for his... Candor. Um, Greg Norman impressed me because I asked him some very personal questions about his golf, about, you know, the choking and that, and yep. what do you think about people who say mm-hmm. that? And I don't think anyone had been game to ask him that in the past. I didn't say he was a choke. I said, people say. Yep. And he said, well, thank you. He said, I'm glad you've asked me. That gives me a chance to respond. I'd not been asked that before. Uh, so I interviewed plenty of people, politicians, and and then started on nine and then started on the footy show. And that's, I, I didn't realise you'd done that, and that's why I think you would understand then what I think you at the start, because for people to give up their time and tell their story and and be open and honest, which, as you will appreciate, some people can be in interviews, they say surprising things. I think it's, it's a wonderful thing that someone can give up their time like you are now. I used to say to people that I'd interviewed, it didn't, I'd say, no, I've got a tape recorder. I say, now, when the tape recorder's on your, uh, it's on the record, I said, I'll never, ever take things out of context or, or switch and sw- swap mm-hmm. answers with questions. I won't try and dodge you, but I'll hope I'll be respective, but I'll be a bit personal. And they'd, as soon as I'd put it on, they'd, I'd say, and then I'd start. And they'd, some of them would say, um... Is, are we doing this now? And mm. I'd say, yes. That, I said, you're asking me that on, on the record, eh? I said, <laughs> yes, I'll turn this off now if you like and we can have a discussion about it. And I had very some people, I won't tell you, who got a bit ticked off, not with the questions I asked, but the personal... A few of them thought that it was a good opportunity to promote something they were doing. Yep. And I said, I'm happy to promote what you're doing, but I'm not here to do that. I'm here to ask you about you. And that got offside with a few people, and they said, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And I said, 
Oh, do you have a problem talking about yourself? I said, that's what this is about. I, I think I was the last person to interview Brett Whiteley. He had painted a watch, painted Rado, used to get, got Andy Warhol to paint something for Rado, the watch people, mm -hmm. and Brett Whiteley had been asked to do a painting with a Rado watch in it. And I was sent up to Sydney for the Herald Sun, by the Herald Sun, I think it was in those days. Mm -hmm. Said, you're going to interview Brett Whiteley, because the Herald Sun used to organise it all. So I got up there and Brett was, probably had taken some analgesics. I'm not sure if he had or not, but he was wound up like a plastic watch. <laughs> some analgesics. And I said, I've um, come to interview you, Brett. And he said, no, who? Who are you? I said, I'm Sam Newman. He said, and you are from where? I said, I'm... He said, I'm not interviewing anyone. And I spent three quarters of an hour interviewing him about why he wouldn't be interviewed. <laughs> and I have that on And I took it back to them and I said, is this real? And I said, yeah, I've got all, I've got every tape of every interview I did. So people... Have you? Wouldn't, yep, every tape. They're on CD now. People wouldn't believe. And they say, he didn't, he didn't say that, you didn't say I said, and I'd give them the tape. They'd say, God almighty. And... He was fantastic. I think I was the last person to interview him. You should, um, I, I, the, the first series of the Howie Games, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Greg Norman, a man I yep. admire tremendously. And it'd be interesting to hear how he views life at his age yep. now as opposed no, to... I, I, I interviewed George Best. When George Best died a couple of years ago, they had a big headline in the paper and the great George Best. And I rang the Herald Sun up and I said, would you like to replay yep. or would you like to reprint the interview I did with him? They said, I said, I don't want any money for it. You can have it. And they said, oh, yes, yeah, so I... They reprinted the whole thing in its entirety. It was it was fascinating. Have you read his book? I think I think it might be called Immortal. I think brilliant book. Brilliant book. Uh, oh, my first question to George. I got him very. I interviewed him in a hotel down in Port Melbourne. He was a very good man. And when you say something in the spoken word, it's not quite how it mm -hmm. comes out when you actually looking at someone and you can see the twinkle in your eye. I said, "Now you're a drunk, George, aren't you?" And when you put that in print, it looks as though you're being really abusive. But it I does. said, you're a drunk, aren't you, George? He said, yeah, absolutely. And he went on and on about it. And that famous line, he said, would you, what would you have rather done, kick the winning goal for England in the World Cup yep. or um, bettered Miss World? He said, fortunately, I've done both. <laughs> <laughs> More of Sam Newman in a moment. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Firstly, need to let you know about our guest next week on the Howie Games. Excited about it, to say the least. It is a man that has won nine Formula One Grand Prix. His name is Mark Webber, and in some ways, he's lucky to be here to tell us his tale. So I thought that if I go into the trees, the branches, you know, I know how thin the windscreen is on this car. You know, these cars aren't... They're designed to do a lot of things in terms of a crash, you know, impact with other cars, impact with barriers, impact with lots of different scenarios, head-on, rear-on, side-on, rah-rah-rah, but they're not designed to go in trees. And, you know, you think about uh, It's incredible how when people say you have... When it all comes before you and you think you're going to, you know, you could, you know, cop it, um, it does slow down. The frame rate was so slow. I was thinking, I thought of Anne... Mum, my sister, I thought of all the obviously females in my life. I'm thinking, wow, this is maybe this is it. That's Mark Webber next week on the Howie Games. Now, alrighty, let's get back to Sam. We're sitting in Triple M in Melbourne today recording this. You had a long and wonderful career working for this radio station, but still famously, famously, Sam, you just talked to about in this day when a talkback caller came, rang in, and you said to him, You, sir, 
are a fuckwit, I think is what you said to him. Yeah, yeah. No. Uh, well, uh, yeah, no, it, in context, that was fair enough. I used to go, to, I filled in for someone, I saw three games in a row. Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday game, I filled in for someone doing special comments, which why, why uh, television stations and radio stations have lots of people doing special comments is beyond me. What are special comments? Just stating the bleeding obvious. Comments that are special. Stating the bleeding obvious <laughs> or making it up to sound good. So I'm not trying to do people... Out. So I sat there and I watched uh, three shocking games of football that just... I love that this is the start of this era that I'm talking about that just went round and round and ended up... They used to kicking the ball up their own backside... And uh, I said, that's the worst game of football I've ever seen. Someone rang and said, I thought it was a great game. I said, were you at the game, sir? And he said, I was. I said, well, you are a fuckwit. And um, Brian Taylor was commentating and he went, ah. And uh, that was it. So uh, Gary Pert, who ran the station, called me in. He said, now, Sam. I said, I know, Gary, I'll resign. He said, no. He said, no. He said, what I'd like you to do is go to the see your contract out, go to the football and when the games go, it start at noon and when the game starts at 2.15, you go home. I said, would there be a diminution in pay, Gary? <laughs> he said, no, we'll honour your contract. I said, so let, let, let me get this straight, Gary. Uh, I, I can go to the football from 12 till 2 and when the game starts, I can go home and you'll honour my contract. He said, yes. I said, well, my dear, my goodness, I should have sold someone there a fuck with Years ago. <laughs> so anyhow, so that was that. So I finished on very mutual terms. Uh, very mutually terms. Had great time here, great time at 3AW with Ron Barassi and Rex, who was uh, the voice of football for a couple of decades. Uh, people underestimate how successful de Rex was. And he's still flying. Uh, well, if, if you say so. I don't listen to the radio much and I don't watch the television at all. So... Unless he's on either of those two mediums, I'm not sure how he's going. So what's life like? And congratulations on everything the footy show has done. It's been a remarkable, wonderful show, still going absolutely beautifully today. What's life like in the spotlight? Regardless of the shows you're working <coughs> on, what's life like in the spotlight? When you're making headlines, causing people to talk about you, what's life like in that situation? Well, 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 like you talked about George Best. Now, this is a man that did it on a global yeah. scale, or Greg Norman. You, you uh, have that, you've had that here in our hometown. Um, well, I'll, I'll get back to uh, where we sort of came in. Yep. I don't know what people... I, I know people say this and they say, oh, I don't watch your show, but... And then they can tell you everything that was on it. I hate that. I, I hate when no, people just, say that. Just be straight up. Uh, now, I don't read the papers. I tell you that. I, right. Because I don't like to read bad news if it's about me. I mm. just can't... That's, hence, I don't care what people mm. say about me because I don't know what they say about me. I don't watch the television. I don't read the papers. I don't have a social media account. I'm not, haven't got a computer. So I, um, I, I don't, I don't mind what people say about me. I don't, uh, I don't think I think I'm good. I don't think I, I don't think I've, I'm egotistical. I don't think I think I'm better than the next person because. I know in my soul I don't think that. Yep. If people have that impression, that's a public persona I I put out there, you know. People say, ask you things and you say it for the for the moment. Yes, I got a lot of money and yes, I do all this and I got cars and all that. But I only do that for effect. Uh, I don't think I... Um, 
I don't get ahead of myself. I've never thought I'm better than anyone else. I do what I do, and uh, I think there's uh, people like Gary Lyon and James Brasher and Hutchie and Rebecca Madden who are all been on our show and probably the most successful person in this whole industry Eddie. since it started is Eddie. Mm-hmm. And Eddie, the amount of crap that Eddie gets, and fair enough because he's out there and has an opinion about everything, he is a world-class performer, anchorman, host. He is, you don't realise how, you might, people don't realise how good that man is. No, I do. What he did with Collingwood, what he's done with various boards he's been on, he is world-class. There'd be very few people in this world who'd be better at what he does in the whole spectrum of the media and the entertainment industry and how a someone like that doesn't get nominated for a gold logie or mm. hasn't won 10 of them mm. is beyond me. And that is where that award and that night is so jaundicedly stupid that people win awards and shows win awards and half the country's never heard of them. They're just, it is a political witch hunt of nonsense. You mentioned money there. If you've gone from money sleeping in your mate the dentist's back room mm. to now being reasonably successful and affluent, I don't know how you would describe your financial situation, it's none of my business, but do you treat money and wealth differently when you've had nothing? You, that's a very good question. You do. Um, I'm pretty... Um, I... I, I, I I'm pretty loose with my money. Uh, i not loose with it. Don't mind paying for things or don't... You enjoy your money. I enjoy my money. I'm not a hoarder. I'm not... Uh, I've been very philosophical about it. Uh, I've had nothing. And I would say in order to appreciate the highs in life, you must experience the lows. And it's a pretty boring life if you don't have a bit of light and shade and a bit of up and down in your life. <laughs> Uh, not that you try for that, but if it happens, you have to deal with it. It's quite a good lesson in resolve and um, uh, surviving, not being successful necessarily, but being a survivor. I think I've, if I've done nothing else, I've survived. So um, for that, I feel uh, grateful. There's three more things I want to ask you about that sort of pop into my head as you're sort of bringing stuff up. You all right? Yeah, I'm right. Okay. Um a couple of your your great loves from the outside looking in, I guess one would be cars, um, another would be women, it'd be fair to say. Well, I'm a heterosexual, yep. So you've been married a few times? I uh, have three. So after... Could one, have been married seven times, I could have been. So what stopped you four, five, six and seven? Well, because I think after the third time, uh, one of the people I was going out with said, what's our future? I said, would you like to be the fourth Mrs Newman? And they said, yep, I see what you mean. Perhaps right. not. Right. So I've had a very good relationship with all the people I've been out with, um, no matter how much when you break up, you try and make it non-acrimonious. There's always just a little tension there because people's ego and uh, don't like to be jilted. But I could say the people I've been married to and the people I've been out with, generally speaking, we've been on very good terms. Are you a hard man to be married to? Very. Why? If that's too No, I'm trying to think of why. Perhaps I'm not. Perhaps, um, perhaps I'm not. I don't know. I'm not very emotional, I don't think. You're not? Not very... Well, I don't think I am. Not very... I don't generally hold hands with my partner walking down the street or 
Do you cuddle them or kiss them? Do you emotionally tell maybe, them about how you're feeling and all that type of stuff? Probably not. No, right. Probably not. And that's okay. coming from a regimented mm. life at a boarding school and probably a disciplined family life. Um, but I think I'm very good in other ways, but probably not the ways that matter to women. So who's the last person that you told that you love them? I I couldn't tell you that. I... I uh, it just depends how you tell someone. Well, if when someone you, when says, you mean it. I love you, and you say, yeah, and I love you but too. I when, mean, when uh, you genuinely mean I'll, it. I don't know, but I can't remember a situation where I've been in. I, I wouldn't hesitate. Probably if I'm asked, I'll say, yes, of course I love you, but I'll right. probably not volunteer it. I, not, I don't know why. That's just that's probably why none of my marriages <laughs> have worked. I, I, have a, I have two young kids, seven mm. and five. Um, and I've got a little boy and he's five and it fills me with joy because he's very physical and he loves to hug and cuddle and kiss. And yeah. it's, I have a great fear that when he gets to 11 or 12, which he will, he'll stop doing that Well, with let's me. hope so. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, mate, if you had an 18, 19, 20-year-old son come on to cuddle you and kiss you all the time, you grow out of that. But right. you then show love and respect and adulation in a different way, don't you? Do you hug your boys? No, not often, no. Right. But you do, occasionally? Occasionally, yeah. Special occasions. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, birthdays and Christmas, if they've done something. I, I don't know how I'm we not, got onto this, really, but... I'm not generally a... Uh, tacitly, I'm... Tacitly, I show people I like them, but not... I don't display it too much. <laughs> you like cars? Yeah, I like cars. I hug them occasionally. <laughs> you tell them you love them? Yeah, I tell them I love them, particularly when they won't go. So I love you. Please start. Don't collapse on me. How, how many cars have you got at the moment? Well, I have uh, three old cars, three uh, cars that were built in the 50s, 60s and 50s and 60s. And um, I have one proper car, as in modern car. Right. What, what other cars? Oh, I've seen you driving that Mustang I saw you down yeah, the golf with that. Yeah, that's it. I that's have, a beautiful, beautiful car. It is. They're, they're, the three old cars I have are beautiful cars. They're all very good cars. And that's what uh, I have a, a Cadillac, six, 59 Cadillac, 65 Thunderbird, 69 Boss Mustang. Yeah. And I drive a Mustang um, just every day. They're all left-hand drive cars. What's the favourite car you've ever had? Ever had? Yeah. I think perhaps perhaps the 59 Cadillac, right. which is 20 feet of absolute <laughs> horrendously bad taste with fins and lights and it travels and rides better than any car I've ever driven. Just right. floats like a boat. When you were driving those cars around, and I don't want to get into a political situation here, it's just struck me, but in Melbourne at the moment, you're driving a nice car, blokes mm -hmm. in some ways a bit like Johannesburg, and I only say that because I've been there, so I'm not disrespecting South Africa, but you're driving around the streets of Melbourne now in a fancy car. Mm -hmm. Blokes are liable to pull out at a traffic stop yep. and say, oh, all right, mate, out of your car, I'm taking it. Do you ever mm -hmm. think about that or am I getting never. carried away? No, I never think about that. Right. Yep. Um, no, never think about that. If you worry about uh, that sort of stuff, okay. mate, you'd never do anything. My father-in-law um, at the moment is in hospital. He's just had his prostate. I don't think I could drive most of the cars I drive. I you mean, might be pretty right. hard to drive a manual left-hand drive car if you're just trying to it's spring true. it at the lights. True. At the time you worked out how to drive it, the moment would be gone or someone would have lumbered you, I'd reckon. 
I reckon, Sam, one of the, um, whether you realise or not, maybe one of the greatest things you've done, for want of a better term, but like, and it came up in our house in the last couple of weeks because uh, my beautiful partner, her husband, uh, her dad, has just had his prostate out. Mm. Um, and your name came up and mm. he was talking about the fact he was going to get it done and he'd seen you do it on yep. 60 Minutes mm. and it took a lot of the fear out of the procedure for him, I reckon it'd be fair to say. And I think that's pretty amazing that you can... Use your profile to benefit people in that way. It's well, a nice thing, Sam. Well, uh, that, that's, that happened because um, having had five months off uh, on the footy show, we, have, we, we work for the footy season, then we have five months off, and about a week before the footy show started, I told Channel 9, the people up in the top office, I said, I'm sorry, mate, I've been diagnosed with prostate cancer, I just cannot be on the first show. And they, of course, said, well, naturally you'll... But I said, I feel bad because... I said, but if it's of any interest to you, I'm very happy for you to make a... Um, have some sort of program out of it or make a doco out of someone with yep. being diagnosed with prostate, having the operation done, speaking to the surgeon, and then being given the, the greatest relief is, of course, when you have prostate cancer and they take your prostate out, is that they have take it has all been confined to what's known as the capsule. If it gets out and it's gone into all your other lymph nodes, and yeah. that's the problem because they haven't got it all. So uh, Eddie uh, did a 60 minutes thing on me. They showed me um, living life before the week before the prostate and then going in and the operation done on by a robot on the big screen. Mm. And then the uh, most uh, disconcerting, not disconcerting, the most nerve-wracking thing was that Eddie, on to make the show a bit, uh, you know, uh, spiced it up a bit, mm. make it a bit interesting... Eddie gave me the news whether they had got it all out of the capsule. And if you've had prostate cancer, you will know that that is a really nerve-wracking time to say, yes, we've got it all or we haven't quite got it all and uh, you're going to have to continue with and then you have ongoing battle with your health. So I'm lying there on 60 Minutes and it was a bit like the game show. After the break, we'll be back. And he came back and he said, now, and he had the bit of paper and he said, I've got in here the uh, prognosis, uh, the diagnosis of the thing. And he said, no, I'm sitting there. And I actually started to sweat. I thought, God, I hope he's not going to say... You're in trouble. We're a bit in trouble. And he said, they said they've got it all. And they showed a photograph saying that they had got it all. You can see if it's inside the capsule or it's not. So, yep. so even with my health, Eddie was Eddie's best uh, game show host uh, with my health. It was fantastic. And, and do you have people relay types of stories that I just relayed to you then about my father-in-law? Yeah, I have a lot. So I became a, 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 an indirect advocate yeah. and um, the spokesman for it, which I, I gave no other information than you must get yourself fit and do all the core exercises and uh, your libido and sex drive and uh, will be a thing of the past. Uh, but that's up to you how you manage that. And... Um, so that's the main thing that men worried about is yeah. would they still have a great and active sexual life? I said, well, unless you're a magician, you won't. But uh, <laughs> there's a lot of aids that uh, you can use um, if you can be bothered. Right? Maybe you've had your share, your 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 fair share and fill of sexual exploits, which I had. And um, <laughs> you were so done. It you didn't worry. I didn't worry about me. <laughs> it didn't worry me. So sitting here now, what what do you? Uh Let's say you've got another, I don't know, 
That's a rude Week. thing to say. No, let's say you've got another 20 years. I don't know. Oh, oh no, so it's, it's thought in the footy show. No, no, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, 20 years. Yeah, mm. another 20 years. What what would you hope to do in that next phase of your life sitting here now? Well, um, here is uh, here is a shocking cliche. But as you get older, you realise that the one thing that you must have in life is your health. If you are racked with rheumatism and mm. pain and you start to get a bit of dementia and uh, Alzheimer's disease, which you can't do anything about, life, the quality of life becomes more important. As I sit here, besides my mental capacity and me being pretty stupid, uh, <laughs> physically I'm pretty good. My father lived till he was 96, my mother lived till she was 94. But that doesn't say anything about how you long you should live. My sisters are still going. They're in their 80s. Um, it's the quality of life, not so much where you go in life, but who you go with. And yeah. uh, don't have to go all over the world just to enjoy yourself. You can stay in your own little neck of the woods and, and have a great quality of life. And a hand, uh, you know, as they say, a jug of a loaf of bread, a jug of wine, and thou. That's all you need in life. And that's all you need? That's all you need, just um, a meagre existence, uh, <laughs> being who you are, being true to yourself, having some principles and uh, ethics and morals, some, um, not dudding people, uh, being honest with them, um, being a bit Christian, nothing wrong with being a believer, mm -hmm. and uh, generally not be a drag on your family or your friends or not being a noose around their neck. Do you reckon sometime in that next however many years you'll get that uh, balsa board out and let me put you in a brand new warm wetsuit and catch one wave, Sam? I think you'd love it. Yeah, you uh, must remember, I don't know how old you are, Mark, but, um, you know, you're not that nimble when you're 70, uh, 71. Um, I'm still pretty nimble, still pretty, don't have any... Eddie, things that uh, curtail my existence. I see a lot of blokes in the surf. I've met a bloke the other day that was 78. Mm -hmm. He was surfing better than I was. Was he? Yeah, he's been surfing non-stop for yeah. 70 years. But Well, um, I'd, I'd be up for it, mate. I'd, I'd be up for it. It's just uh, like all these things. People say, oh, we must catch up. And I say, yeah, we'll catch but up. I'm not in it for that. I just no, think I know, like, because right. I love to surf and I know that now I didn't know that you used to love to surf. Oh, no, I was, I've got... Well, I think... I don't think you ever lose it, mate. I think you'd get on there and you'd genuinely have a smile on your face and say, that was bloody good. I don't good. think I've surfed for since probably 75 for 50 years. 50, 75, yeah, 50 years. Well, I don't think, think we have to hit bells at 10 foot. I think we're talking no, more Ocean right. Grove at 2 foot. Nah, that's all right, yep. <laughs> Sam was absolute. Uh, I said at the start, you had me on edge, um, which now I realise there was no point being on edge. Um, I appreciate you sitting down and having a chat with me and having a bit of a chat about your life. I really enjoyed it. I hope it wasn't too painful for you. Thank you. It wasn't. Done. Thank you very much. Cheers. That's it. Thank you to Sam for being Sam, as only Sam can be. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks also to Billy Mystic, the Jamaican surf god who provides the tune Try, 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 which he lets us use on the Howie Games. A lot of people ask about it, so just Google Billy Mystic. MJ on fire, producing up a storm at the moment. Respect to him and all the crew from Podcast One. It's about all i got for you from Guyana. So until next Thursday, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try
listener.